The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay, and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Lucis Trust, a non-profit, non-political, and non-sectarian organization on the roster of the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations and concerned with the establishment of world cooperation and goodwill, presents Inner Sight with your host, Robert Anderson. He, with Sarah and Dale McKechnie, President and Vice President of Lucis Trust, will discuss philosophical and spiritual topics essential to everyday life. Now here's your host, Robert Anderson. Welcome. Inner sight is simply seeing that which is always present, but not yet fully recognized. You have within you the ability to see yourself and the world around you in a new way with new eyes. So, stay with us, and together we'll look at the world and ourselves with Inner Sight. Our topic for today, Matters of Life and Death, Part 3. Before we explore this topic, I'd like to say a few words about Alice Bailey, founder of the Lucis Trust. Lucis Trust sponsors this show. Also, Alice Bailey wrote 24 books of esoteric philosophy, and those 24 books are the main inspiration for the dialogue that you hear on this show. Following thought is also from the works of Alice Bailey. We must all learn to look upon death as an act of restitution. When we can do this, it will take on a new light and become an integral part of a constant living process. Our discussion last time ended on the note of suicide being intertwined somehow with selfishness. Uh, can we pick up on this topic again? Yes. Um, <clears throat> it reminds me of a kind of a funny, ridiculous incident that happened not too long ago uh, on our commute home from work. We take the bus across uh, a bridge, and that one evening, uh, there were a lot of policemen standing around looking over the edge of the bridge, and there were vehicles, police vehicles all over the place, and it fouled up the evening commute, needless to say. Probably someone had jumped from the bridge. And the reaction of one woman on the, on the bus we were on was especially noticeable. She was furious at her commute being delayed and was so indignant over the selfishness of this individual and uh, the next day we got on the bus to go home and for some reason even though uh, we can take any bus we want we don't have to take the same line each evening there she was again same woman and she was talking to the person next to her and still just as indignant 24 hours later about the selfishness of this individual who had had the um, nerve to choose the evening rush hour to try to commit suicide 
In her mind, there was no doubt suicide is very selfish because it ruined her commute. I don't know. It's, it can sound callous to say that it's selfish, and yet, in a sense, yes, because none of us is an island. We live in a web of relationships and interrelationships that we probably have no idea of how intertwined and um, interreactive all the different connections we have with our fellow beings on this planet are. And if we choose to end our life early, we have to realize that the consequences are probably very far-reaching. It isn't just about us. No, and the, um, the, the cause may be deeper than we realize because it, um, it may have to do with the particular psychological situation with this particular individual that uh, jumped off the bridge. And if we could uh, get at the cause at the before it, you know, he makes the decision to jump, then uh, we're we're helping to delay or deter, let's say, the impulse of suicide in the first place. And uh, that's where the the kind of self-centeredness enters in. I think it's not only the act itself that may be selfish, but it's because of the self-centeredness that initially created the problem in the first place. And because where this self-centeredness enters in or exists, then you have tremendous amounts of emotional energy and uh, mental energy all piling in upon this person. It's very self-centered that it <coughs> creates this uh, impossible thought form around himself and it's very hard for him to get out of that once it, uh, for anybody for that matter, once you get into one of these thought forms, it's hard to get out. And um, so that's that's where the real selfishness or the self-centeredness enters into the picture. It's interesting to speculate on um, how the average human being views his life. I suppose most people think that their life is for them to use and um, adapt so that they will create circumstances that will bring them happiness. In fact, our Declaration of Independence guarantees us the right to the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And if we don't achieve that happiness, something has gone wrong. But another way of looking at our life, any human life, is to see it in, in a reverse sense as we are here to serve something much greater than ourselves. In other words, we're not here to be happy or to create circumstances that are going to give us pleasure. We are here because the soul has come into incarnation for some purpose of service. Alice Bailey said the soul doesn't uh, return to incarnation for purposes of achieving perfection, on its own level, the soul is already perfect. I find that reassuring uh, at times when I feel especially <laughs> discouraged about myself. Well, my soul on its highest level is already perfect. But it comes to serve. The soul comes into incarnation to serve. And so 
It's a, it's the contrast between am I being served or am I serving that decides the question of suicide. Suicide becomes a non-issue if we think we're here to serve. Well, exactly, and I think as, as also it mentions in the Bailey writings that once the human race becomes more soul-oriented, more soul-integrated with the soul and begins to express the love and the understanding of the soul in the world, then these incidents of suicide will drop away because, you know, with soul-oriented anyway, so you, you will know that it's pointless to uh, uh, commit suicide and there will be no less desire to do it because mm-hmm. you'll be able to see the problems and work out problems way ahead of time before that uh, it ever gets to that point. One of the things that's always bothered me about suicide is that it's uh, kind of contagious among young people. And um, apparently that's not just a modern phenomenon because my mother could remember many, many years ago one of the boys in her class in high school committing suicide. I think it has to do with when you're very, very young, you don't have a sense of time and the passage of life to sustain you during uh, periods of um, darkness and uh, even despair. If you live long enough, you learn that life has, to use a platitude, its ups and downs, and that everything bad comes to an end. If that's one thing we could say to young people who despair and think about suicide, it would be that everything bad comes to an end. Things will get better. And um, you don't know that when you're young. You don't have that sense of time and patience. And then add to that the whole pace of modern life and technology where everything has to be instantaneous or we get frustrated if somebody doesn't pick up the phone on the first ring and if the Internet doesn't come up immediately, um, we just can't stand it. Everything has to be instantaneous. And I really think this is combined with our pursuit of happiness, probably setting up circumstances that cause deep frustration to people. Right. I always thought the Constitution should have said, uh, in the pursuit of joy, perhaps, and that would lift the whole focus to a little higher plane, And because joy is the quality of the soul. So... Um, Maybe they'll change the Constitution. Maybe they will. Yeah. I don't know who you would speak to. But. <laughs> we'll have to go back to Tom Jefferson and <laughs> rewrite it. Anyway, um, there is also um, the question of suicide when it comes to, uh, like, the, the end-of-life situations, too. And that's a question that often comes up, uh, particularly as the... Uh, as the uh, boomer generation begins to age Mm -hmm. and the the parents are now living longer and um, all of that. So the the question of ending one's life, particularly if it's a very painful process at the end, uh, often comes up now, I think, more than ever. Well, one reason, I think, is that medical science has advanced so exponentially in being able to sustain life far longer and through far more drastic illnesses than used to be possible. 
And in many ways, that's wonderful. But we have to remember that life on earth is life in form. And the great question for society to deal with is, do we want to sustain the form, the body, past its period of usefulness, just because we think that's the only place where life can occur? If we think we are only living when we are in a body, then yes, we're going to want to sustain that body as long as we can. But if we realize that the soul incarnates and goes out of incarnation over and over again in a cyclic ebb and flow, then the body is just a vehicle for a a temporary period. And that that would change the whole perspective on how to how to come to terms with the end of life in the body. Right, and we also have to bear in mind that uh, the time of transition out of the physical body is really the decision by the soul. And it's not the decision of the personality, uh, or at least it shouldn't be. And the more we understand the relationship to to the soul, I think we'll be able to... uh, Uh, defer that uh, passing of the transition time to the decision-making process of the soul because it it knows its plans, it knows when it it wants to be born, it knows when it wants to die. So uh, if we can perhaps see see it, the whole process from that angle too, that would help uh, deter this this um, tendency to end one life too too prematurely. Well, you're talking about euthanasia, aren't you? And um, mm. that's a fascinating topic. Maybe we can come back to it after mm-hmm. the break. Okay. For those people who just tuned in, you're listening to Inner Sight. Our topic for today: Matters of Life and Death, Part Three. We have a uh, a free offer. Uh, from Lucy's Trust to you, and uh, stay with us for a while. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But um, we have a pressing need. I think our most most um, successful fund drive uh, occurred years ago, and it really helped us to stay on the air. We had people, uh, uh, listeners, who were uh, uh, running around, and they were cashing in their bottles and cans and uh, and they had, instead of throwing them away, and I think what motivated them is we made them think. How many of you just throw away those cans that are five, worth five cents in bottles? And so we got uh, enough money, miraculously enough, to stay on the air for, long, for a long time. But we can't do that type of fun drive again because it got very confusing because we people got mixed up and some of them sent us their cans for us to do it. We really don't have time for that. So don't do that. Even though it was successful, it was just too confusing. We have a lot of work to do in regard to uh, the inner site program is only one level of Lucy's Trust. But we would appreciate your help. And if you could just continue sending donations, we've had a rough time economically. And uh, uh, we're pressing for it and asking you more than in previous years because uh, times have been much, uh, much worse this time. There's a bad economy, as we all know. So please continue with those donations. It will keep us on the air. Send donations to, they are tax deductible, to Lucis Trust, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. That's Lucis Trust, 120 Wall Street, 
New York, New York, 10005. The free offer is the following. We have two World Goodwill Newsletters. That's two World Goodwill Newsletters. What is life is the first one. What is death is the second. Give us a call at 1-866-NY-LUCIS. Think of 1-866-NEW-YORK-LUCIS. LUCIS, L-U-C-I-S. And there's no strings attached. You don't even pay a shipping charge. One is called What is Life? What is Death? And uh, you'll be able to read in a deeper level as to what the theme of today's program is. Um, all of our InterSight programs can be heard on our website at www.lucistrust.org. On the home page, you'll find a link to today's program, which will be available for hearing in a day or two. Last week's program is already available, and many of our past programs can also be heard. www.lucistrust.org We were... Uh, talking before the break about euthanasia and uh, there are so many philosophical uh, issues that occur with that. Perhaps we can pick up on that topic. Yes, it's something that's very much in um, the um, consciousness uh, now. Uh, I believe Holland has legalized euthanasia and um, it's a decision made by the uh, person in consultation with his physician. Certain um, States, I think, are considering it, but it's still a very delicate issue, and I think rightly so, because I don't personally think we human beings have reached the point in consciousness where we really can decide, in effect, when we've had enough. But I don't know. Um, I can understand asking the question. Because, like I said a little while ago, medical science has reached the point where it can sustain life in the body uh, so long. And for some people and some families of ill people, that's wonderful. And they want every possible life-saving measure to be taken to keep the person living in the body. Okay, but what about the people that don't want that? but the medical professionals feel compelled uh, to do everything they can. That's where I think people worry that there has to be some room for euthanasia or they will be sustained in a body that no longer serves them and suffer and on the social level deplete society's resources. Uh, I've read that the medical care in this country is concentrated at uh, the very end of life in the last six months of life. The far, far greatest amount of medical care is spent on prolonging life by another six months. And we all have to ask ourselves, is it really worth it? Is the quality of life in those final months really worth it? I suppose it varies with every individual, but it's a huge social question. Right, and um, sometimes if there is a lot of pain and suffering at the end, uh, then um, a euthanasia is is warranted, I think. Mm -hmm. That um, at that point, you see, the um, any karmic uh, debt or thing like that is, is left over is not really present anymore, I think, because the... The physical body has uh, run its course, it has served its purpose well in this particular lifetime, 
and the soul is ready to uh, move on and depart. But what about the case you and I were talking about just a few days ago of a person who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and is afraid of reaching a point where she can no longer make the decision to end her life and she doesn't want to be a burden to her family. Should she end her life while she still has enough faculties to know what she's doing? Well, that's her choice. Uh, Here again, we don't want to step in and say, uh, no, you can't do that. But uh, I think maybe uh, here again is not thinking through uh, the responsibility aspect of it uh, because maybe it would be interfering with the soul's plans to end it prematurely. Uh, Maybe it would be interfering with the soul of the family members who would have to take care of her or the caregivers. Uh, there are all these other questions, so it's not just it's not just the one individual that's involved. Mm-hmm. There are there are other, as we said earlier, there are other people involved. If you're going to uh, take your life prematurely, well, yes, in all these uh, discussions on matters of life and death, I think the the mantra that ought to be repeating in our minds is, "It's not just about me." No, exactly, and. Uh, <clears throat> is um, because there's also the law of karma involved. And are you setting aside your own karma when you uh, remove yourself from the scene prematurely? Mm -hmm. Refusing to suffer. Yes, maybe uh, this pain and suffering is part of the lessons that uh, this soul has chosen to learn. Mm Mm-hmm. These are huge questions. Alice Bailey said something very interesting about euthanasia in her book, Esoteric Healing. She said that the problem of euthanasia won't exist when there is continuity of consciousness. She's speaking about uh, an evolutionary um, stage that human beings haven't yet reached, but which lies in our future. She said there will be a a time when continuity of consciousness has been achieved and the soul will be able to deter... Well, the soul knows when its term of physical life is over, but it will be able in this evolutionary step forward to be able to impress that awareness, that knowledge upon the entity living in the body. There will be enough communication between soul and form for the soul to impress its its will, its purpose, on the entity in the form and to set up the series of events that enable the soul to consciously withdraw from the form. Right. I think that's that's the key, is, is more education on the nature of the soul and the position that the soul has in, in the whole process of death. And we don't understand that process here in in this Western world, I don't think. And there needs to be a lot more education on this. And once once it's recognized and once it's accepted as a um, just a part of life, the death is simply a part of life, and, and really there is no death because the individual in the body continues on. It's immortal. It uh, it doesn't die. Only the physical body uh, disintegrates and departs. 
and if we could, if there could be more discussion on this and more education on this, then I think um, society would be moving ahead on this whole issue. It would certainly mm. have ramifications for the medical profession. I think mm. they do wonderful things, and the debt of humanity to the medical profession is great. But their whole training is understandably about preserving and sustaining life in the form. That's what medicine is, as we know it in the West. It's about preserving life in form. And so their their whole impulse, their whole raison d'etre is to keep the form living. And so I, I think maybe if one believes one has gotten to the end of one's life, as one lady I knew who was 95 believed, the best thing to do is to not let yourself get into a hospital. Because not only do they have their training that encourages them to do every measure, take every measure they can think of to preserve life, there are also the legal consequences that hospitals quite rightly are worried about. And if you are able to be at home and um, with family members, I would imagine deaths can come rather quickly. Yes, if it's allowed for the soul, is allowed to do its thing. Uh, when that moment comes, it can be uh, it can be very quick and painless and uh, uh, very very beautiful. Yes. In fact, if one wants to see death as a liberation from this uh, diseased and infirm physical body. I think the people in hospice care understand this very well. Um, my father died in hospice care, and I remember the nurse um, uh, saying to me, it's a struggle to be born and it's a struggle to die. And uh, Alice Bailey would echo that, but that it takes a, a considerable act of will for the soul to release its its body, its instrument. Um, but if we if we follow the the perspective of hospice care, they understand that the body, the entity knows when it's time to die. It doesn't want to drink. It doesn't want to eat. Um, the refusal of food and drink is normal. And to force water and food on a person who is preparing to die makes no sense. And yet that's what well-meaning human beings tend to do. Hospice uh, care has made great headway in understanding how to bring about uh, death at the right moment. Behind all of this discussion, there is that great law of esoteric healing, which says there is naught but energy, for God is life. And keeping that in mind, the cyclic ebb and flow of life in form and out of the form becomes much more of a, an accepted and even beautiful reality. Alice Bailey said that the true spiritual meaning of freedom is pulling away from form. And she said it's this sensed freedom that lies behind the urge towards spiritual liberation at every step of the way, from the beginning aspirant to the master of the higher initiations in the pulling away from form lies freedom. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could view birth and death in those circumstances? Please take advantage uh, of the free offer from Lucy's Trust. 
and those are the two goodwill, uh, two world goodwill newsletters. Uh, topic of one is what is life. The second one, what is death? Give us a call. Ask for them. There's um, no charge, not even a shipping charge. We'll be happy to send them out to you right away. Give us a call on our toll-free number one eight six six N Y Lucis. That's one eight six six. Think of New York Lucis. Uh, numerically, it's one eight six 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 nine five eight two four seven. That's one eight six 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 nine five eight two four seven. You've been listening to Inner Sight. Now we would like to close with a world prayer called the Great Invocation. It's a call for light and love and goodwill to flow into the world and into our hearts. Let's listen for a moment to these powerful words. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. You work all day, then go home and make dinner. That's not fair, because making your dinner, that's our job. We don't work all day, then go home and do your job, so stop doing ours. Head into Buffalo Wild Wings for America's favorite wings, shareables, burgers, and more. Choose from 21 signature sauces and seasonings to take your dinner from mild to wild. But don't worry, we're dinner pros. If things get too wild, we've got dozens of beers on tap and a full bar to bail out your palate. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. If your A.C. is blowing hot air, let O'Reilly Auto Parts help bring back the cool this summer. While you may need to eventually service your A.C. unit, get immediate relief with Interdynamics Arctic Freeze R134A refrigerant with leak sealer for $32.99. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.